Hello, podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's History Class. Today I'm going to tell you about a man you've all heard but may not recognize his given name. This man was Hiram Ulysses Grant. That's the name his parents gave him when he was born in 1822, April the 27th, at Point Pleasant, Ohio. His name change came when he was appointed to the Military Academy at West Point, and the congressman who appointed him confused his name and appointed Ulysses S. Grant. A couple of things. S. S. did not stand for anything. We have now added Simpson because someone thought that's what it was, but it's Ulysses S. Grant. The military academy unable to change names, and Ulysses, disliking that name better than Hiram, just went along with it, and because of his military career and everything else, it was a very fortunate name change. I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about Grant because there is just way too much to tell. I'm going to brag. Is it bragging or is it a fact? I've read three biographies on Grant, including his memoirs, and those memoirs as a story in itself. There is no way, no way, I can even begin to tell you everything in those biographies. And that's true of any biography that you read. I've also read three on the lead. I've read two on Stonewall Jackson. I'm going to stop right there and just tell you that I'm going to just give you a little information about Ulysses S. Grant and encourage you to read his biographies. And you will see the many, many parts of Grant that you are probably not familiar with. The highlights of him growing up was he did not get along real well with his father. One of the stories that he told about growing up that was in every biography I've read and he included in his memoirs. So it must have been important to him. And it had to do with one day when he was, I forget how old he was, maybe 12, he wanted to buy a pony. He asked his father, and by the way, I don't want to forget to tell you, Grant was a superb horseman. No one at the Military Academy had ever seen anyone that could ride as Grant did. He had to get the money from his father, and his father gave him instructions, and that was, tell the gentleman that you will pay him $5. If he don't take 5 go up to 10 If he won't take 10 go up to 15 If we won't take 15 go up to 20 But you are allowed to pay as much as 25 So, young Ulysses ran up to the gentleman and said, I was told to ask you if you would take 5, 10, 15, and 20. If you would not have to give you 25 He sold the horse for $25. Now that story was told, of course, by many people to show that how stupid he was. I think it really hurt him. He never forgot it. As I said, mentioning every 
biography and in his autobiography. But he added that was one heck of a horse and proved to be a bargain in the long run. When he was appointed to the military academy, as I mentioned, the congressman who appointed him got his name confused, and Grant was not interested in being a soldier. And in one of the biographies I read, there was a movement. This is in the 1830s, a movement to abolish the military academies. Two of the people who were in the government that were in favor of doing this exact thing were, I'll name them one at a time, see if you've heard them, Sam Houston of Texas, and his reasoning was you could not teach leadership. The other one was David Crockett. David Crockett. Think of the Alamo. He considered it a private school for the children of the wealthy paid by the taxpayers. There was a movement. It didn't happen. And once Grant got there, he did learn to like the military academy. One thing I would suggest you all do. You get on Google, you get on whatever mechanism you can. You get books, you get these biographies. Check them out of the library. Buy them and add them to your personal library. And you look and see what the subjects were these cadets were having to learn back in those days. I'm going to tell you right now, it will blow your mind, podcasters. And you compare to what they were studying to what we're studying now. And even go back into their primary education, into high school, and look at the subjects. That is amazing, podcasters, and I'm going to just leave it at that. You understand? I'm not going any further than that. I'm going to leave that up to you. You do that. That's homework. You understand? Now that we've done that, I'm going to move on. It is commonly believed that Grant was stupid. Podcasters, I cannot emphasize enough, he was not. This is one of the things that we see over and over and over and over and over. Did I say over? Did I say over and over again? People believe misinformation the way that reputation got started was after the war, after the Civil War, as I told you in an earlier lecture, these lost cause writers begin writing and they change the history. One of the things that they're going to do is they're going to make John Moore Robert E. Lee the most brilliant man that ever lived as far as the military is concerned and the Army of Northern Virginia, the most magnificent army. The problem was he lost. Now, how can you have a man lose and be brilliant? The answer is simple. You have him outnumbered by so many soldiers, he had absolutely no chance. And to prove that he had no chance, the outnumbered men were commanded by an idiot named Grant. 
I would tell you right here and right now, that is not true. I'm going to add one other thing. Read these biographies on Lee. And the, if you want to read one, read The Man Who Would Not Be Washington. I'm going to just leave it at that. The Man Who Would Not Be Washington. I had a very good friend, Bobby Nyman, and he and I used to talk about the war and and World War II and the Marine Corps. He wasn't in the Marine Corps, but if you're with me, we're going to talk about the Marine Corps just a little bit. And one thing Bobby always wondered was why after the war, when Lee was asked, who was the best general that you fought against? And Lee named George Britton McClellan, who, as I told you in the other lecture, I don't know if I told you in the other lecture. I told it maybe to myself. Can you unthink that? I'm not going to start over. It's in contention of being the worst general in the Civil War. Why would Robert Edward Lee say that man, that worst general in the Union Army, was the best man he'd been against? We thought, well, maybe it's because of the Battle of Antietam, but I cannot tell you anything about the Battle of Antietam that would have made anyone think that General McClellan was brilliant. But in that last book, that last biography, that author explained it. He did not care for Grant. He hated Grant. And so to belittle Grant, he did not say that Grant was the best general that he had fought. I mean, just because Grant defeated him. And so he picked the worst general. Now you think about that. You use an analogy and you see what I'm talking about. Grant was not stupid. When he graduated from military academy, I'm not going to look at the numbers. There were 39, 38 graduates. He finished 21st. Let me mention something here. First off, the key word is he graduated. We'll say that he, he graduated. Now you get your calculators out, or if you're a math major, just do it in your head. And you figure up, if he graduated 21st out of 39, how many cadets graduated below him? Here's another thing. Reading, I-N-G, you learn, 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 you keep on learning. That was not just academic standings. Academics had only a little to do with your standing and graduation. It had to do with marksmanship. It had to do with discipline. It had to do with artillery. It had to do with the whole entirety of being a cadet. You ask me, anyone who graduates from military academy, that's quite an accomplishment. He's going to be commissioned a second lieutenant. Actually, here we go reading, 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 reading. One of the biographies, he was not commissioned a second lieutenant. He received a brevet commission. Meaning, when there was an opening, he would get 
his commission as a second lieutenant. If you know anything about Grant and the war, you know that he was not a spick and span dresser. His uniforms were sloppy. He did not care much about it. A couple reasons for that. One was that when he was coming home for the first time in the uniform of an infantry officer, which was beautiful, little boys made fun of him. Soldier, soldier, will you work? No, I will not work. He was humiliated. Another was he was in the Mexican War, and he served under both Zachary Taylor, who was known as Old Rough and Ready, who did not much dress up in fancy uniforms, and Grant really admired him. The other one he served under was Winfield Scott, who had the nickname of Old Fuss and Feathers, and in one of the books I read in Scott's home, in one room, he had mirrors everywhere so that he could march around in his dress uniforms and admire himself from every direction. Grant preferred Old Rough and Ready, and so his uniforms were not spick and span. He was as brave in the Mexican War as anyone. If you read about the Mexican War podcasters, you're going to read about lieutenants and captains that are going to become generals in the Civil War. If you know about the Civil War, you talk about a roll call. It's there. In fact, one of the books I read on the Mexican War, the title is The Training Ground. And that's what it was. Good officers and bad, but they were there. Grant was a quartermaster, and that taught him the importance of supply, which is going to be very valuable to him when he does get his command in the Civil War. He was as brave as anyone. I think I mentioned that. I'm mentioning it again. But he was also modest. In his memoir, he kind of summed up what he believed his importance to that war was by saying this. That when one of the generals rode up, he proudly reported to that general that, Sir, I have cut the arm off of a Mexican officer with my sword. And the general said, Well, I'm proud of you, but why did you not cut his head off? And he said, Someone had already done that. He was very modest. After the Mexican War, he married his love, Julia Dent who, ironically, comes from a slave-holding family, lived on a plantation in Missouri, and was never a true abolitionist. I will tell you something, podcasters. If you like romance, if you like love, there it is, right there. One of the books that I read recently is the title, Lincoln's General's Wives. Well, Lincoln had a lot of generals, but these were four generals. And those four generals were General Fremont, General McClellan, General Grant, and General Sherman. 
I don't remember the name of the author, female. Wonderful book. But the Lincoln's General's Wives, I believe you'll be able to find it. And she said that she wrote about those four because two of them, Fremont and McClellan, nearly lost the war for the Union. Grant and Sherman won the war for the Union. But in reading about the wives, the love story was Ulysses and Julia. For example, Julia had something wrong with one of her eyes. I forget the medical name. We call it lazy eye, I think, today. And she went to a doctor to try to get it corrected. They couldn't do it. She was too old. When Ulysses found out about it, he scolded her by saying, you leave those eyes alone. Those are the eyes I fell in love with. I'm going to tell you, podcasters, I learned things in that book about the wives that none of the biographies on these men even mentioned. I'm going to say one more time, and then I won't say it again but a thousand times. You have to continue reading. That is an I-N-G word. Now, to get back to Ulysses, after the Mexican War, he married Julie. Now, I'm mispronouncing. My, my pronunciation isn't good. I don't know if you can tell that. When I was young and growing up and going to school at Gaston, the campus between Joinerville, Texas, and Henderson, we had to read out loud. I think the proper term is read aloud. And I just never could do that. My East Texas twang gets in the way. You can look up Grant and see the proper pronunciation of his wife. After the Mexican War, he's stationed in Oregon and in California. It'd be difficult to think today, although I'm sure some of you service people could, name a place that is more boring than to be stationed in the pre-Civil War in California and in Oregon. I'm going to say this right now. If you know anything about Grant, you know about his whiskey drinking, his reputation as a drunk. I've tried to get a handle on that. When he was stationed in California and in Oregon, he started drinking. It got out of hand. And he's going to leave the Army in 1854. And the only thing he said about that in his memoirs was, and I'm paraphrasing, that whiskey had become a problem. Now let's look at this for a moment. Some have said it wasn't that he was sitting there drinking one-fifth after another. It was that he didn't have much tolerance. He did not take him much, and he got, well, a little bit tipsy. When I mentioned that book, Lincoln's General's Wives, and I told you that I learned things in that book that I had not learned in any of the biographies, this is one of them. I want you to listen to this. 
that lady historian said how much he was drinking and why he was drinking, the important was why he was drinking. That was much more important to how much. And podcasters, Grant was drinking because he missed his wife. He loved that woman, and there, pour him another drink. On the way back east, he borrowed money from another man he had gone to the military academy with, and that man was Buckner. Simon Buckner. And you can hear more about Simon Buckner later on. Grant gets back. He becomes a farmer. Everyone says, well, Grant, Grant, Grant. He wasn't good at anything. He was a failure at everything. He was a farmer. He couldn't make it as a farmer. Wait a moment, podcasters. Wait one moment. Hold on right there. How many people have been told by their fathers, I want you to grow up and be a little small-time farmer so you can get rich like me? When have farmers been rich? Now, I'm not talking about the massive farms we have now. I'm talking about the little family farms. Because we've all, well, I can't say that. I don't know you. You put stuff out there in the ground. And what's it depend? Well, you got to have soil. You got to keep the animals away from it. You got to have the rain. You can't have too much rain. You read about farming and the Depression and even the pre Depression. Who in the world finds it astonishing, shocking that Grant in the 1850s? had difficulty getting rich on a little farm. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you right now. His wife came from a slaveholding family, and as I mentioned, she was never an abolitionist. She had a little slave girl that she just loved. So because of that, and I'm not going to take time to go back and check, but Grant ended up owning a slave. And this is what's important about that, podcasters. He and that slave worked side by side in those fields. And what Grant learned was that blacks were as intelligent as anyone. I'm going to say that again. Blacks were as intelligent as white people. They just didn't have the education. And Grant never ever, ever forgot that. And years later, when Grant becomes president, he is going to take on the Klan, my podcasting friends. He never forgot that. If any man was saved by war, it was Grant. When I was teaching face-to-face, I would tell students, think of this. In 1860, this man was a broke farmer that went back to working for his father in the tannery, wore an old faded army coat, and tried to borrow some money. Eight years later, he's president of the United States. 
He is the biggest, most popular hero of the Civil War and President of the United States. Leaps and bounds, my friend, podcasters. Grant was not stupid. When the war started, he gets command of a Illinois, Illinois regiment. He's a colonel. And again, I'm not going to go into all the details or anything like that. We got biographies, we got his memoirs, and you can read that. But his first action is going to be in Missouri. And one of his first actions, I'm going to scratch that, unthink that, unring that bell. His first action is at a little place called Belmont, Missouri, on November 7th, 1861, against a general you're going to hear about later on, General Gideon Pillow. In this little-known battle, the Confederates push them back, they push the Confederates back, they go back and forth, and then the Confederates panicked. They threw down their weapons and they ran. All right, eighth graders always want to know what was the scoreboard, what was the score. Union lost, killed, wounded, missing 607. Confederates lost, killed, wounded, and missing 644. Excuse me, 41. That's, is that unimportant? Well, if you're one of those casualties, it was as important as anything. But I want to tell you, there's two reasons I told you about that little battle. See how well I went into that? One was Grant won. Secondly, in his memoir, he said he learned a lesson he never forgot. As he was leading, leading in front. And he will have one horse killed from under him. He was terrified. But when the Confederates panicked and ran, he learned something right then and there he'll never forget. They were as scared as he was. And that was the last time, podcasters. That was the last time. He then moves on. He's going to capture Fort Henry. That's on the Tennessee River. It's a little known action that he's going to be coordinating the attacks with the Navy under command of Admiral Foote. But the other one, the one that's going to come next, is much more important. And this is Fort Donaldson on the Cumberland River. With Grant moving the men, the infantry, and foot moving the Navy, they start bombarding, and this becomes a siege. And during the siege, okay, here we go, here we go. During the siege, the Confederates realize, uh, podcasters, when you are being besieged, I don't care if you're in a castle in England or you're in Camp Donaldson, it's all over but the shouting. And while they were being besieged, the commander of that fort is a general by the name of Pillow. Pillow believed that he could not be captured because he had read the Constitution. He had been an officer in the Mexican War. He graduated from the military academy. 
I'm getting there, people. I'm getting there, podcasters. You're an officer. And the old army, as they called it, you swore to defend and protect the Constitution of the United States, not to fight against it. If you fight against it, that's called treason. He did not want to be executed for treason, and so he turned the command over to his second-in-command, John Floyd, who also remembered he had been Secretary of War in 1860, Secretary of War in 1860, and had sent a whole lot of weapons to the future Confederacy. Treason, he said. And he said that if he were captured, if he surrendered, that those Yankees were going to put him in a cage and they were going to take him from town to town and drag him through and let mobs spit on him. And then they were going to hang him and he didn't want to do that, so he left too after turning the command over to Simon Bolivar Buckner, the officer that had loaned Grant money. They believed that they would get good surrender terms because of the friendship in the old army. Buckner sent a messenger out, asked what terms. In one of the biographies, Grant kind of looked up, and I forget who the general was, and I'm not going to go back and try to find it, and he simply said, what terms should we give the rebels? And the answer was, if it were me, I'd give them unconditional surrender. And so Grant wrote, the terms are unconditional and immediate surrender. Two things. Three things. Maybe four. That probably crushed Buckner. The friendship, this is what you get. That's one. I don't know what you know about Grant, but I'm going to tell you right now, cigarette smoking ain't good for you, and I did it for years. Grant smoked cigars, and as he grew more and more famous, people sent him cigars by the cases, and he developed throat cancer after the presidency. He was dying, podcasters. He was broke. He sold his presentation swords, oh my gosh, to try to make money, but that wasn't enough. And a man comes to see him, and that man you know as Mark Twain, that was his pen name. A little information here. Mark Twain, Samuel Clements, liked to brag that he was probably the youngest Confederate deserter in the Civil War. If not the youngest, certainly the most famous. And for reasons I cannot tell you, because I've really not read a whole lot about this, he thought the world of General Grant. And so he suggested to General Grant, you write your memoirs and I will publish them. And that'll get you money. And that money will be used after you're gone to help pay the bills. And podcasters, that old general... And more pain than I would ever want to experience. That stubbornness that's going to be one of the reasons that Lincoln liked him. He wrote what is considered to this day some of the finest memoirs in the history of memoirs. 
and he did not die until he put the end on those things. And what I learned is that Union and Confederate officers came to visit General Grant. When he was dying, he could not talk. He would write questions, comments. I knew that when he passed, that his coffin was carried by three Union generals and three Confederate generals. One of those Confederate generals was Joseph E. Johnston. And someone asked General Johnston, it was a cold, rainy day, I believe, and he'd taken his hat off. And they said, why did you do that? And he said, that man would have done it for me. But what I learned was, the Confederate officer that spent the most time with General Grant was Simon Bolivar Buckner. And Grant told him then, had I known it was you, and that you just were not writing the request for one of the other generals, I'd have given you better terms. But even then, after this render at Fort Donaldson, Grant offered to loan him money. He refused and did not need it. Now, what's the importance of Fort Donaldson? A couple of things. The number of men, I know y'all wonder, what was the scoreboard like my 8th graders? What was the scoreboard at Fort Donaldson? Confederates surrendered 13,846 men. That's how many they surrendered. What do they do with these prisoners? They're going to exchange them. I know specifically some of the men that were captured at Fort Donaldson that were going to later fight in the war. They're going to be exchanged. How did you do that? A general for a general, a colonel for a colonel. Oh my gosh, I don't have a colonel, but I've got three majors. Then a general for three majors. That's going to stop. I believe Grant will be one of the ones that stops it because he thought it was ridiculous since the number of men available for the Union was a whole lot more than the Confederacy. Why should we keep reinforcing the Confederates by sending their prisoners back? And that's going to create nightmares called prisoner war camps. What's the importance of this? A couple of things. Grant gets a nickname. He will be known in the Civil War as Unconditional Surrender Grant. U.S. Grant, Unconditional Surrender Grant. Here's something else. My friend Bobby Nyman and I, we would always say things like, what do you think was the most important battle and why? One time when we started the Civil War Roundtable, we, we did not have the presenter show up for some reason. So what do we do? Well, duh. Someone suggested, let's each say which battle we believed was the main battle of the Civil War, the turning point of the war, the most important. And my buddy Bobby Nyman always said without hesitation, shallow, 
shallow, shallow. Why? Because Grant was accused of being drunk and people wanted him dismissed. They wanted him kicked out of the army. They begged Lincoln to do it and Lincoln wouldn't do it. And Lincoln kept that man who's going to win the war for him. And so when I was teaching face to face, I would add Shiloh as one of the important battles. But how many times? Reading, ING, ING, move back to Fort Donaldson. It is amazing to me, but understandable simply because people are human. That men who are fighting on the same war against the same enemy can hate each other. And Grant already has enemies and they are in high positions. And they've already started saying that he was drunk. He's an alcoholic. He needs to be dismissed. He needs to be removed. Why, there was even an account that he was so drunk, he was crawling up the steps of the house to his bedroom on his hands and knees with his sword just dragging along beside him. And they started screaming for him to be dismissed and kicked out, and Lincoln didn't do it. His superior officer, General Halleck, whose nickname was Old Brains, who'd gone to the military academy and was so brilliant, he was actually teaching classes as an undergraduate, hated Grant, would not give him credit for anything, took credit for everything. I don't know about you podcasters, but if you're Grant, you can get kind of depressed, you know? Well, this is what they think of me. I'll just go home. They don't want me here anyway. And then something happened. How many books have I mentioned about Grant that I've read? And the one, one book, Men of Fire, about the battle at Donaldson had something that none of the others had. I'd never heard of this, read of this. With everyone coming down on Grant, with enemies more numerous than there are trees in East Texas, something happened. The men that he commanded took up a collection and bought a presentation sword for Grant and they presented him that sword. Podcasters, how many realize the importance of what I just said? And the other podcast, when I would begin by reading from my book, the Sword and Revolver Presentations, I cannot emphasize what these presentations meant to those men. And that meant a tremendous amount with everyone coming down on Grant. The men he commanded pitched in their money and they bought him a beautiful sword because they respected him as a commander and as a person when no one else did. Grant stays. Grant stays. And as you know, he will win the war for Lincoln. Now that's as far as we're going to go today in this podcast, podcasters. You've got homework. 
I'm going to remind you. Biographies you can read. Understand? Try to find what the curriculum was at the military academy in the 1850s. Then go and see what you can find about the curriculum of high schools in the 1850s. Do that. Go to the animated maps. Look up. Watch. Donaldson. Donaldson. Go to YouTube. Find you some Civil War songs. I suggest going to Tennessee or any forward and play you a few of those songs. And I hope you enjoy the podcast. And the next podcast, we're going to do Shiloh. And you'll see that after Shiloh, the South never smiled again. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to tell you right now. I can't undo that. I'm not going to. When you look at history backwards, I taught a Civil War class, and I may mention Peggy. I don't know if I did. Peggy was 80-something years old, I believe. And she said that until she took that class, she thought there were two generals. That one was named Lee and one was named Grant. And every time I mentioned a man in the Civil War, I had general, 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 general. That's looking at history backwards. You look at it from that moment, the most prestigious general in the Confederate Army was not Robert Edward Lee. It was not Thomas Jonathan Jackson, known as Stonewall. It was a man by the name of Albert Sidney Johnston. And he will be at Shallow. He was born in Kentucky, but considered himself a Texan. I will say this, and I will say it again. He is the only person that I know that was a U.S. citizen, that was a commanding general in the armies of three different nations. There's you a final Jeopardy question. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Shallow next time. Homework. Get it done.